Let us pray. God, we hate conflict. Show us a better way and give us wisdom for living. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever felt that sometimes in life it feels like there's conflict just waiting for us around every corner? Whether it's at home or at our work or even here at church. Today's passage from Genesis chapter 4 invites us to think deeply about that. And how we as people of faith should respond. So in recent weeks, we've been making our way through the Genesis creation story. Two weeks ago, we came to that part of the story where Adam and Eve yielded to the temptation and shattered the harmony of God's creation. What's called among most theologians the fall of humanity. The very next thing to happen in this story is the passage that was read for us just a few moments ago. In other words, the first specific way that our human brokenness manifested itself in the aftermath of the fall was in our person-to-person relationships, how we treat one another. Adam and Eve birthed two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain became a farmer, Abel a shepherd. Genesis 4.4 tells us that in the course of time that Cain brought to the Lord an offering from the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought the firstborn of his flocks. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But as for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. The text doesn't tell us what it was about Cain's offering that God dishonored his offering while honoring that of his brother. My best guess, based on human nature, is probably in the aftermath of these offerings, Abel's flocks were prospering while Cain's crops struggled. And that probably caused Cain to conclude that God loved his brother, but that God was rejecting him. We're told in Genesis 4 or 5 that Cain became very angry at the outcome of this offering and its aftermath. That his countenance fell, that he seemed to have realized that he was in a very dangerous place. Because he could sense God's voice speaking to his heart. Saying to him in verse 6, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Master it. Now that's colorful imagery of sin. Of a predatory animal waiting at the doorway to pounce when Cain is most vulnerable. So with this warning in his head, Cain invites his brother to go for a walk and a talk in the open fields. And when we read this story, we can simplistically, I think, sometimes assume that Cain is pure evil and that Abel was 
pure goodness. But life is usually a lot more complicated than that and a lot more subtle than that. And I suspect that as they were walking and talking, I picture Abel. Now, I'm just using my imagination here, but I picture Abel taking the opportunity to get a few jabs in there like siblings often do. Maybe Abel was a bit self-righteous about his religion, about how good things were going for him in his own life. Maybe that triggered something in Cain. You know, you've always thought you were better than me, Abel. Maybe Abel responded by saying, brother, if you just get your act together, you'd be okay. You've always been something of a screw up. And maybe for Cain, that was the last straw. After years of feeling inadequate, feeling rejected, not good enough, it builds up to this irresistible force of anger. And he bends down and he picks up a rock the size of a grapefruit and he smashes it against the skull of his brother who crumples to the ground, unmoving. Now, remember, as the story is told here, Cain has never witnessed death before. So he's probably expecting his brother to revive, to get back up again. So he stands over him, waiting and waiting. He's not even breathing. Come on, Abel, it's not funny anymore. And slowly it begins to dawn on him. Could this be death? My brother's spirit was here just a moment ago. His body is there, but it's not him anymore. God, what have I done? That's how I imagine it happening. But however it happened, it's history's oldest story of human conflict. Brother against brother, a harbinger of things to come a world destined to bubble over with interpersonal conflict. The principal symptom of our human brokenness is that. And here we are centuries later in our own brokenness, living in that same story, reenacting Cain and Abel in our relationships with the people all around us. So tell me, friends, in your life today, who is it that you would love to just do in? <laughs> Literally or figuratively speaking. Not a question you get asked in church very often. Perhaps the first person who comes to mind is a prominent political figure. Perhaps, well, hold that thought right there. We're going to talk more about that next week. But for today, this passage challenges us first to focus on our own sphere of influence. Because how can there be peace on earth if there's not first peace in our individual sphere of influence? So I'd like you to use your imagination now. In your, just imagine your relationships are a microcosm of international relationships. And if you were to take your sphere of influence, your, your relationships, the people you're connected to and in relationship with, and if you were to, to blow that up so that it looked like a global system, your little world, what would we see going on in that world? 
Would there be war or peace? Imagine your mother is Brazil. Your spouse is Europe. Your brother is China. Your child is Japan and your co-worker is Russia and so on and so on. Imagine if we looked into your world like that. Would you be inhabiting a world at war or a world at peace? Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me, we sing. So I ask you again, who is it that you are tempted, let's just be frank, to hate? Who really gets under your skin and infuriates you to the point of blindness? If you were to ask me to answer that question honestly and transparently, it would be difficult because maybe it's a person in this room. I'm joking. That was a bad joke. <laughs> but what if your priest did answer that question for you honestly and transparently? I'm going to tell you who that person was. It was another priest, actually. It was a priest that is no longer in my life, but who I knew for a long time and who had a major role in my life. At least that priest was supposed to have a major role. But he didn't seem to give any kind of care about me. In fact, when I came to him with issues, questions, some of them spiritual, he would put me down. He would judge me. Once Christian and I asked him to give us a blessing for our relationship, and his response was, I've blessed dogs and I've blessed backpacks. I guess I can bless you. We didn't ask for his blessing again. Once when I was going to have to buy my first clergy shirt ever, I couldn't afford it. And I was worried about how I was going to pay for it because I needed it to participate in a service where I had to wear it. I let him know that this was going to be a struggle financially. And in front of another parishioner, he immediately made fun of me. Oh, I guess, I guess you long for the day, John, when church paid for everything, including your clothes. Sorry, those days are over. He accused me of plotting people against him in the church. When that, it, that would never enter my mind to do such a thing. You know, he actually did much, much worse than that. But I'm not going to relay to you everything here that I could because we record these sermons and we put them online. But it was nothing short of abusive. And I remember trying to live under this person's spiritual care. Christian saw me struggle with the constant stress of this. And I remember after a few years of this, one night, I was so upset by it all that I, I threw a dish down and shattered it. I was in tears. And I remember saying, I hate this person because of their utter selfishness. And that was the moment right then. I think Christian realized that then at the same moment. But that for me was a moment when I realized danger. Sin is at the door. And either you master it or it will master you. Thankfully, I was, over, I was able to overcome that anger and eventually let it go. But I ask you again, who for you is that 
person that you're most tempted to hate. Maybe it's an ex who spurned you. Maybe it's a coworker who's done you dirty. Maybe it's a friend who's turned against you and is saying things about you that you just don't understand. Who is that person in your life? And what would be your weapon of choice? You know, most of us are too civilized to use a knife or a gun to get at the people who bother us so much. So our weapon of choice is almost always words. Proverbs 12, 18, rash words are like, a, are like sword thrusts. Death by a thousand cuts. Let me just tell you how much of a jerk she is. Let me tell you all the terrible things he said to me. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 12 that we will give an account for the words that we speak because the words we speak have the power to give life and have the power to take life away. In his book, Love is a Way of Life, Gary Chapman says that words are like seeds or bullets. In the typical day, how many words do you guess that you speak? The average number of words the typical person speaks in a day is 16,000. So that over the course of a lifetime, the typical person speaks about 860 million words. That, friends, is a lot of potential seeds. It's also a lot of potential bullets. And you know, when we feel anger rising up in us and we start to let those negative words come out, we are just like someone who walks into a crowded theater or a school and opens fire with an automatic weapon. The carnage can be unbelievable. So I want to offer six quick suggestions, and I'm going to race through all of these, the first five especially, just a little bit of development of six, and then we'll be done with this sermon. And I know that that's going to create an asymmetrical sermon, which will drive me nuts, but for your sake, <laughs> and because it's, because it's Saturday evening, I'm going to make that sacrifice. So six quick suggestions on how do we respond to the ables in our life. Because the point of coming to church is not just to hear about how bad it is to be in conflict. The point of coming here is to find out how can we grow, how can we become better, how can we follow Jesus more closely. Number one, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 44, pray. God, I ask that you will bless my enemy as much as you bless me. All that I hope to receive from you, give those same blessings to my enemy. You know, if you pray that prayer, and I've had this experience in my life, and it's how it got me, my, me past the greatest amount of anger that I just shared with you that I've ever experienced in my life. If you pray that prayer for a few weeks, it will transform your heart and your soul. That prayer can heal us and bring our soul back into balance and help us let go of anger. Two, Jesus said, bless those who curse you. And that means an action here, this blessing. That means acts of kindness towards our enemy. That means peace offerings. 
That means gestures of goodwill that inject positive energy into an otherwise negative situation. What is something simple you could do to bless that person that you are at odds with? Three, measure your words. Be especially careful what you say to your enemy and what you say about them. Don't gossip in parking lots. Be careful about that because whatever we say, whatever bullets we shoot out there are going to just boomerang and come right back and hit our own soul. It's called sowing and reaping. Don't put it out there. Measure your words carefully. Number four, give direct address a chance. In Matthew 17, Jesus commands us to do this. If someone offends you, go to them. Not 15 other people. You go to them and tell them what you, want, what you need to say. Speak to them the truth in love. Don't go in with guns blazing, but gently speak your truth in love and then listen to them with an open heart. See if that doesn't make things better. And if it doesn't, number five, if need be, disengage from that person. Get as far away emotionally or even physically from that person as you need to and love them from afar. In other words, if it's abusive, if it's dangerous or corrosive for you to be engaged with that person and you've tried these other steps, you may have to separate yourself from that person. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all. You see how honest Paul is being there. It's not always possible to be at peace with everybody. You can only do what depends on you. If the other person doesn't want to make peace, it's not going to happen no matter how hard you try. So once we've done it all, don't keep getting sucked back into the drama. Back away from it and don't stir it up. A cold peace is better than open warfare sometimes. That sometimes that's the best we can do to bring peace in our world. And finally, just stick with me for just a couple, two more minutes here. The final point here, and this point helps me a lot when I'm struggling with this. There was an elderly man who was suffering from dementia in Australia. And he was living in a nursing home. And when he passed away, his nurses went through his personal effects and found there a poem that he had apparently written. A poem that stunned them because they thought that long ago that, that this elderly gentleman had lost his mental capacity to write or to make good sense out of words. And this is what he wrote. And I'm, I'll explain to you why I'm taking the time to read this just briefly after. This is what the, this elderly gentleman wrote. What do you see, nurses? What are you thinking when you see me? A cranky old man, not very wise, uncertain of habit with faraway eyes, who dribbles his food and makes no reply. When you say in a loud voice, I wish you'd try, is that what you're thinking? Is that what you see? then open your eyes. You're not seeing me. 
I'll tell you who I am as I sit here so still, as I do your bidding and eat at your will. I'm a small child of ten with a father and a mother, sisters and brothers who love one another. I'm a young boy of sixteen with wings on his feet, dreaming that soon now a lover he'll meet. A groom soon at twenty, my heart gives a leap, remembering the vows that I promised to keep. At twenty-five now, I have a have young of my own who need me to, to supply a home. At 40, my young sons have grown and are gone, but my wife is still beside me to see I don't mourn. But then dark days come, my wife now dead. I look at the future and shudder with dread. I'm now an old man and nature is cruel. It makes me in old age look like a fool. The body, it crumbles so that grace and vigor depart, so that now it appears a stone dwells where I once had a heart. But inside this old carcass, a young man still dwells. And now and again, my battered heart swells. I remember the joys. I remember the pain. I'm loving and living life over again. So open your eyes, people. Open and see. Not a cranky old man. Look closer. See me. In the context of what we're talking about, this poem is a reminder to us that regardless of our outer appearances, you never know what is going on inside somebody else. Every single one of us has something going on in our life that makes it hard, that, that creates stress, that often comes out sideways in our life, and that affects the people around us, which is why we have to be prepared to show so much grace. So that brings us to point six. When you're struggling to be a peacemaker with your enemy, I want you to exercise your empathetic imagination. Picture your enemy's mother and how she loved him as a child. Picture what it might have been that made your enemy like they are in life. You know what they say, hurting people hurt people. In what ways might your enemy be hurting? The worse they are, the worse that they're likely to be hurting. And when we get in touch with that, it makes it easier for us to engage them as human beings, not demons. You never know what's going on inside of somebody. That's why we need to show all the grace we can, we can possibly muster. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. Amen.